This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c I just think we do a huge disservice to parents when we providers or friends just sort of say, well, they'll just teach you in the hospital, like you'll get help there. Because so many moms come back to me and maybe there wasn't a lactation consultant over the weekend or in the evening hours, or maybe the nurse that was assigned to them really wasn't super educated on breastfeeding. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast, a podcast that continues to grow because of you and your reviews and a podcast where I get to welcome the most amazing guests to chat about all things infants, parenting, child health, child development and parental mental health as well. And today's guest is Kelly Kendall. She is a nurse and IBCLC founder of The Balanced Boob, which provides support and education for breastfeeding families. And we are chatting today about the things they don't teach you about breastfeeding in the hospital. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited too. I'm also, so I'm a pediatrician, obviously. I am an IBCLC in, for the last two years and I do round in hospitals. I see newborn babies. I love being an IBCLC, but we're talking about very openly the things that are not taught in the hospital and why we think it's important that people who plan on breastfeeding know about these things. So before we get started, tell us more about yourself and why you love doing what you do. So like many IBCLCs, what really drew me to this work were my own struggles with breastfeeding my two kids. I always knew I wanted to breastfeed. And I was one of these people that thought that kind of desire was enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I googled a few things and just thought that I would be taught in the hospital and really was completely blindsided by just how like hard breastfeeding a newborn can be and how emotional it can be. And really that what fuels my passion for supporting families for the whole, you know, range of experiences that can be feeding their babies. And that's what I love to do. I love it. And I also have that similar story that I didn't breastfeed my first. Um, I had a very traumatic delivery. And yeah. a lot of my experiences was, again, being in a hospital, I was in an ICU, I had IBCLCs and lactation nurses that came in and helped. But again, it was a systematic issue where I'm physically separated, there was like, not as much time for the demos, the compassion, all of that. And I, it's not a blaming of the person, it's a blaming of the lack of resources and lack of time, right? I mean, there's one IBCLC sometimes covering all these units. So definitely something I'm excited that we can talk about and also set people up for some tips that we'll go over. So what are your thoughts about hospital-based breastfeeding care and education? 
So I have been a nurse for over 16 years. And most of that time has been in the hospital in the bedside, supporting families, both as a postpartum nurse, and then as an IDCLC. And I've worked with so many passionate, committed people. But like you said, it really is a system problem. So what Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand is with a vaginal birth, oftentimes the hospital's goal is to get you admitted and discharged in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And there is a whole lot of stuff, you know, as a pediatrician that we're expected to do for these babies by the time they go home, ranging from blood work and assessments and sometimes circumcisions. And breastfeeding just kind of has to fill in the cracks a lot of time. And really, despite sometimes having really passionate IBCLCs at the bedside, it just is a time thing, number one, and resources being spread really thin. Sometimes IBCLCs have 10, 20 dyads that they're supporting. So 10 to 20 baby rooms that they're helping. And then I don't know about you, but really our brains are not primed to absorb a ton of new information right after birth. Yeah. So I think a lot of moms are like, well, they'll teach me. And there's so many times that I would be in a room helping a mom with hand expression or going over some things to be looking out for. And they cannot keep their eyes open, like literally falling asleep as I'm teaching them. And I just think we do a huge disservice to parents when we providers or friends just sort of say, well, they'll just teach you in the hospital. Like you'll get help there because so many moms come back to me and maybe there wasn't a lactation consultant over the weekend or in the evening hours, or maybe the nurse that was assigned to them really wasn't super educated on breastfeeding. So my goal, and I know a lot of the content you provide is really, really about empowering parents to understand how their bodies work and how their baby's bodies work so they can be in the driver's seat for kind of making things happen. Oh, 100% time crunch. And, you know, a lot of hospitals do love, I'll say it's the label of like baby friendly. They want to obviously promote breastfeeding. But like you said, it doesn't mean that just because they want to promote it, that they know what the nitty gritty is, right? Like troubleshooting. And that's why I wanted to get the extra education like yourself. Like I knew that even though I'm a pediatrician, yes, I learned it in residency, but you don't learn it as much as you do in IBCLC training and also by practicing, by doing, by troubleshooting, by learning what's not working with the patient. And yes, a lot of nurses who are amazing, pediatricians who are amazing, all the staff, again, reiterating that everyone is great at what they do, but when they're not trained in it or they don't have the time to learn the trade, right? Like learn all the nitty gritty and the back and forth and that's practice, right? That's why we call it practicing. And so then it becomes a, like you said, oh, well, they'll just teach me. Uh, I think there is obviously something that we have to go in before, like understanding in terms of how to set moms up with the best possible outcome for their breastfeeding journey. So what are some things that you wish would be taught in the hospital in terms of breastfeeding or some maybe getting started for people who are in this breastfeeding journey, things that they should have or things that, you know, to kind of get that process started. One thing that I think is a really kind of underutilized tool, it's becoming more popular, but really is kind of the number one thing that I think every parent should kind of go into their birth having is feeling confident in their understanding of hand expression. Mm -hmm. So hand expression is when you use your hand to remove early milk. And what the research shows is really this early frequent removal of colostrum, your earliest milk is what helps set you up for your long-term milk production. So what happens in those early hours 
after birth is important for the whole time you're breastfeeding. And so I never want a mom to be waiting for somebody to go in and teach them this skill. I would love everybody to go into their birth having this. And that does not mean that you need to be collecting colostrum. I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by that, which for some people, that's a great choice. And for other families, it's like, oh my God, I cannot imagine doing one more thing right now. And that's okay too. But what I want moms to be able to do is have something that they can use really soon after birth. So if their baby isn't interested in latching right away or isn't able to latch effectively right away, they have a tool. Because I mean, you know, this with breastfeeding, there are two humans involved. So a mom can be ready and willing and wanting things to rock and roll and their baby just might not be ready yet, depending on what happened with their birth or, you know, a multitude of factors. So really having this tool where you're set up, okay, I know what to do if my baby's not interested in that golden hour. I know what I can do if, you know, it's been three hours and my baby isn't wanting to feed, that you have a tool that you can pull from to support your milk supply. Yeah. And I think you have a little, yes, we all do. I have, I my, yeah. <laughs> I have yeah, many model breasts. Yes. There we go. Yes. So yeah. The reason why I wanted to shoot video for this podcast is that I think the visual will be really helpful and I'll be putting this up hopefully on my YouTube channel so that people can kind of see, Hey, what does this mean? Is there a proper way of doing this? But we're going to talk about hand expression. Hand expression. One of the first things that you want to do is start with actually some massage. So we're trying to increase your oxytocin levels, which is stimulated with human touch. So right after you've done skin to skin with your baby or while you're doing skin to skin with your baby is a great time to practice after birth. Or if you're practicing before, just making sure that you're doing a little bit of massage to kind of try to raise those oxytocin levels. And the next thing is you want to kind of line your fingers up over your areola. And you want to focus on pushing back against the chest wall and then compressing your fingers together holding that for a second because oftentimes it'll take a second for that thick milk to move down the ducts. Then you release your fingers and you literally just get in a rhythm. You're basically trying to milk yourself Mm -hmm. and you can alternate. You don't need to just sit and do that for 20 minutes. Do that a few times, alternate, do some massage, move to the other breast and really want to empower moms to kind of experiment So another reason to learn hand expression before is what works for my anatomy and my body is going to be different than what works for your body. So if you've, you know, been practicing a little bit, you may know, you know what, this position works much better for me, this U position, or when I use two hands, I get much more milk. Or if I add an extra finger up here, it really helps me. So practicing and kind of experimenting to find what works for your body is really helpful. And I would love to talk about expectation in terms of what they should see coming out, because you mentioned that already that, of course, that first day, first two hours, you're not going to expect that nice hind milk to come out. But what are our expectations? And I love talking about this because I do feel like when I talk to families, especially in those early five days, the mind thinks, oh, it's going to be all this, what I see online, like people just filling up bags if they're pumping or, um, so yeah, what is kind of showing that this is kind of working. The hand expression is kind of going in the right direction. Is that something that we quantify with amount of milk? How do we know that it's kind of going where we need to go? So with everything with the human body, right, there's a big range of what's normal. So some moms will see milk before Mm -hmm. if they're practicing in those last days or week of pregnancy. And some moms won't see any. And it is not an indication of a future low milk supply. When you have a placenta, you have a lot of hormones that are telling your body, 
okay, not yet. Like don't have your milk come in yet. And depending on your own anatomy and your own biology, you may be more sensitive to those hormones and your breast just really may not let down that colostrum until that placenta is delivered. And that's where you may see more easily flowing milk. And like you said, we don't immediately give birth and have a white copious amount of milk coming out. Our milk slowly transitions from colostrum to what's called transitional milk, which is around day three to day five. And then it becomes more mature over a period of time. So really what we're looking for when we're practicing hand expression after birth are drops to teaspoons is really kind of what the range that we would expect. And it varies a lot in consistency and in color. Some moms will have bright yellow colostrum. Some moms will have very clear or almost milky colostrum. Some moms, I've even seen it be slightly green colored. Like there is a huge range of what is normal. So I would say, you know, as long as you're starting to see drops and if you're not, I would say what I would focus on more is changing up your technique because again, like everybody's body is a little bit different and using some warm heat or massage to help as well and trying to increase those oxytocin levels. So breastfeeding really relies on, which is hard because you're trying a new thing. We're like, don't stress out. And, but, you know, we really need to try to be relaxed because when we're stressed and trying something, when we are feeling really tense, it's difficult for our body to let those hormones flow that we need. Absolutely. Which is why I love talking to you about this because I feel, and why I also became an IBCLC because I know the impact stress and pressure has on milk production. And we know this, that even talking about these conversations about how much, right? Like just say a a mother wants to breastfeed and they only see those little drops then they're going into panic mode that, oh my gosh, I'm not producing enough. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to now do formula. Then if they were so adamant about breastfeeding, they feel guilt. They feel like, oh my gosh. And so, and that all cycles into impacting the breast milk production. And so I love that you said that because this is so much about saying, we're going to do this. We obviously will troubleshoot as we go. This is a great tool about hand expression because I think it's obviously we have hands and it's very just something you can do even before someone comes to help you. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood explains in your podcast app. That's understood explains. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Is there anything else, obviously I'm sure there is, but anything else besides hand expression that you'd want to go over in terms of skills or in those first, let's say, six hours um, of trying to establish breastfeeding? Yeah. So, you know, two quick things. Again, Mm -hmm. the importance of skin to skin. So skin to skin, I think has a, you know, people have heard of it before. It's like a kind of thought is this like cuddly bonding thing. And it is but it's incredibly impactful for just stabilizing your baby's transition to life outside of the womb. So it really prioritizing almost continuous skin to skin. If you are awake and alert, having your baby on your chest, just in your diaper, sternum to sternum with you is incredibly helpful for, again, helping them transition supporting their blood glucose levels and helping them feed more frequently. So again, skin to skin, amazing. The other thing that's really kind of changed in my practice in the last couple of years is teaching more natural breastfeeding techniques or more reclined breastfeeding. There's lots of different names for it. And what I have found is we know babies are reflexive feeders, right? They aren't thinking about breastfeeding in the same way you or I are. They're responding to where they are in space and sensing the mother's body and using their reflexes to get to the breast and feed. And what I have found really works well for newborns is if the mom is able doing a more baby led latching technique where the mom is really reclined and baby is then able to use their natural reflexes and they tend to open more wide and they really can do a pretty fabulous job when we give them gravity to assist And a lot of moms think like, oh, I can't do that with my baby until they're much older and have more head Mm -hmm. control. But actually using these early reclined breastfeeding techniques actually make newborn feeding easier. 
Oh, I love it. I think this is so great. And so, well, thank you for demonstrating the hand expression and talking about positions. And this is all stuff that I think, again, parents who know they want to breastfeed, but are expecting to see it in the hospital may not get this sort of conversation. So I think it's so important. Is there anything else that you wish that they would be taught? I think just that the space that breastfeeding can look a lot of different ways and permission to pivot and change goals throughout your breastfeeding journey. I really think we do moms a big disservice when we make it all or nothing. Yeah. And we kind of are like, okay, pump 10 times a day or quit breastfeeding altogether. Right. And there's so much nuance and so much space that we can find for moms. And another thing that I am so passionate about is just really having, helping moms to find a lot of self-compassion for themselves because I think when we're learning something new, especially in motherhood, it's really easy to just be super, super hard on ourselves. And practicing really like deep self-compassion for wherever we are in our breastfeeding journeys or our feeding journeys is one of the like, honestly, a cornerstone of reaching, you know, or of feeling good while you're feeding your baby. I think that that breastfeeding, however you feed your baby, whether you formula feed or you breastfeed, it really is about connection and finding that self-compassion for yourself the same way you're full of compassion for that new baby who's just figuring it out. You're pretty new with this and just figuring it out too. So trying to help families find that for themselves and really foster it is hugely important. Well, as an IBCLC and myself, I love that you are also like that because we in the field, I mean, this is in every field, not just like if it was like IBCLC, pediatrician, there can be extremes, right? Like, well, you have to do it all this. And if you don't do it, then you're not succeeding. And that is so stressful. And so not only is a mother who wants to breastfeed being met with, well, you can't do this. And like you said, the pumping and this and oh my gosh, that stress. It's so important to have a lactation consultant or pediatrician or someone knowledgeable in this space who supports you and your journey, knowing that, like you said earlier, Kelly, like it takes two people, right? It's the baby and the right. mom. It's not just you want to do it, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's going to happen. It's okay. Well, what position does that baby need to be in? Maybe looking at the shape of the jaw, you know, of the mouth, like what is it going to be best for both of you all? And really normalizing again, that even though, you know, the comment that breastfeeding is natural, right? That it's so natural, but something that's natural doesn't mean that it has to be easy as you've experienced. And you obviously are talking to so many mothers who are struggling with that concept of like, I've seen people just, they pop the baby on and then they literally started latching right away. Although that's a beautiful thing and that's great. I want to normalize that that's not just because it's not happening for you doesn't mean it can't happen. Doesn't mean it can look a little bit different. And I think that's so hard and so important that we just kind of normalize that. And you did beautifully. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that really is something that I am, again, like so passionate about is how do we find space and, you know, hold the wide lens of what breastfeeding can look like because it really can look so many different ways for so many different families and change throughout the breastfeeding journey. And really, we want kind of to have a, a little bit of a loose grip on exactly what we define success as. I talk a lot with the people in my program boob school and on my page, like how to set breastfeeding goals that really feel good. So instead of being like, I am not going to use any formula or I want to exclusively breastfeed for six months. How can we center things on 
you know, I want feeding to be something that connects me and my baby. I want to be compassionate towards myself through our challenges and really like centering that as opposed to these really strict goals that we may not have that much control over, right? Like we, our bodies are, you know, from your experience and I know from my own health journeys, like our bodies are magical, limited things, right? And we can't control everything and just recognizing that and not making ourselves bad or wrong because of it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the hand expression. We talked about in terms of uh, skin to skin. If a person wants to breastfeed, what should they bring to the hospital with them? Obviously, we'll talk about what you want people to do to prepare themselves. But is there anything that they should bring? Hand pumps, regular pumps, like what should be in their hospital bag? So I think I'm a pretty minimalist person. Like one thing that I think is just a great all around breastfeeding tool is silverettes. Huge fan of silverettes. They're silver nipple covers and they're a great tool to bring to the hospital with you because they can prevent sore nipples and they're a perfect little vehicle to hand express into and then Mm -hmm. cup feed your baby. So that's one thing that's dual purpose. You can use it throughout the course of breastfeeding that I just think is a wonderful tool. Another thing is getting to know your nipples. So measuring your nipples before birth. So I've seen a lot of places for them to say like, oh, wait till after you deliver. But I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of lactation consultants in the hospital aren't trained specifically for phalange sizing. That's mm-hmm. not part of the IBCLC exam. Yes, and they often missize moms. I know before I got trained in it, I didn't know. And I, in my own experience, comes for with a very ill-fitting phalange. And the reason this can be troublesome is if you need to pump early on, say you're separated from your baby, the hospital will provide a pump for you, but they may not have your right phalange size. So if you know your nipple is a 13 millimeter phalange, they likely may not have that for you in the hospital. So you can go ahead and buy an insert and bring it with you to the hospital. So if you need to do some additional pumping, we know that you're going to have something that fits you correctly. That happened to me. And that's why I stopped pumping. And again, this is great. Using the model breast that you have, are you measuring from the diameter of the areola? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're not measuring the diameter of the areola. That's another thing that I think moms use an areola is like, oh, my baby's whole mouth should be covering your areola. Well, some moms' areolas are humongous, and that is not possible. Especially at pregnancy because of the hormones. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. What we're measuring when we're measuring for a phalange is the diameter of the actual nipple itself. Mm -hmm. And you can measure from one side to the other. There's lots of measuring tools out there. You can use a digital caliper. They're like 7 bucks on Amazon and can really take the guesswork out of it. And then typically, a phalange is going to be about 2 to 3 millimeters larger. So... I'm guessing this is about probably 11 millimeters. Mm -hmm. This is a tiny nipple. And so this mom probably needs about a 13 millimeter phalange. Now the standard phalange that's going to come in your pump or in the pump that's provided to you in the hospital is going to be 24 millimeters. Now, yeah, it's huge. And so that's going to be pulling a lot of this areola in there and it can be really uncomfortable for moms. It can cause nipple trauma and damage, and it's not as effective for removing milk. So having a well-fitting phalange is key. I love it. This is, again, I have never heard this in any, well, maybe there's some educator out there in the hospital, but no, no one's coming to me having this information be taught to them in a hospital. And again, going back to it, it's not the person in the hospital's fault. It's that I'm sure they know it, 
or they just don't have the time or they didn't come to you because of understaffing. So this is so important. And I love this. This is great. What should an expecting mom who wants to breastfeed do to best prepare herself? Obviously, we're talking about things that already are happening in the hospital, but kind of knowing that, you know what, I like to breastfeed. I'm doing a couple months. Where should they begin? I think taking a breastfeeding class is a wonderful first step. And, you know, I think a few things, finding somebody that you like and trust for getting educated by and being able to return to that education. So a lot of times I taught a breastfeeding class in the hospital for many years and parents would be like, that was great, but I feel like I forgot everything when it actually happened. So that's one of the reasons that I was inspired to start boob school because I wanted to give parents the education. And then where do you go at 2am? I wanted them to be able to return to that education and have support. So I think it's kind of three things, prenatal education, access to it afterwards, and that postpartum support where you can go and ask questions instead of just like Googling and going down like deep, dark mommy blog rabbit holes on at two in the morning. You know, where can you go for trusted troubleshooting and support. And that's really is what I see being a foundation for people feeling good and feeling confident through their breastfeeding journey. And I think that's so important because like you mentioned already, because it's such a personalized, nuanced thing because everyone's breasts are different. Everyone's milk production can be different. The baby's different. Like having that person on your team to understand, you know, I love parents getting support from other moms, like, you know, obviously in mom groups, but they can't see your breasts. They can't do that one-on-one with you or even just understand that experience like you hold, right? With being an IBCLC and a nurse, like, hey, here's what may work for you. Let's troubleshoot. And so much of breastfeeding, I believe also is that troubleshooting aspect. And it's not always a one size fits all as we know with flange sizes as well. No. Uh, no pun intended there. But yeah, I think this is so great, Kelly. A great conversation. I love that we were able to get some visuals as well. Yeah. Um, what would be your final message for everyone listening today or watching this video? <laughs> My final message would really be that, you know, knowledge really is power. You know, the more educated and the more foundation that you have going into your breastfeeding journey, the more confident you will be to navigate it and pivot and change and adjust throughout the journey. Like you said, it's so much of troubleshooting. You know, breastfeeding a newborn is different than breastfeeding a distracted four-month-old. It changes a lot over the course of your feeding journey. And so setting yourself up for that is, you know, incredibly impactful and helpful for families. Yes. And you've already mentioned your platform, Balance Boob, and obviously what you're trying to accomplish, which I love. And I know I already connected with you before we recorded this, but I love your balanced approach, which is why I'm happy to have you on. I love IBCLCs who share that sort of, I want to support your breastfeeding and feeding journey. Um, So thank you so much. So where can people find you to stay connected and also for all your resources? Yeah. So I am at The Balanced Boob on Instagram. And then you can go over to my website, which is www.thebalancedboob.com. Perfect. And I will be adding all of these to the show notes or the caption for our video here today. And thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly, to chat about all this important information. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thanks again. Yes. And I'm sure I'll have you on again. I love having this education free and accessible on my platforms, you know, in terms of little tidbits here and there. And then obviously for that more impactful things, utilizing your resources, I think is so, so vital and following her on Instagram. And again, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And thanks to you for having me. 
Yes. And for everyone listening or watching today, if you love this episode, make sure you leave a review wherever you're able to leave review and ratings. Call out Kelly for her amazing information, how it helped you, because I'm sure it will. And also, if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure you comment in the caption how much you love this conversation. And I'll be talking to another guest next time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.